Hope you're doing well this morning. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be hanging out. Matthew chapter 7. You've caught us in the middle of a four-week series on the gospel. Um, So that's kind of what we're in the middle of, kind of working through, is is what is a biblical gospel. Um, If you were to ask me, like, what what are some of those things that, uh, that keep you up at night? Like that make it a little bit hard for you to sleep. And, and specifically as a pastor, what are those things that would specifically make it hard for you to sleep at night? Um, this would be at the top of my list. And like this one, it, it comes with angst inside of me. Like it comes with a weight, like when I say it and when I think about it. But the thing, one of the primary things that burden me as a pastor is to think that people could sit in front of me week in, week out and listen to me preach week in and week out and that I could listen to myself preach week in and week out and yet be deceived about my eternity. That, that's a weight for me. I mean, it, feels, it, it, it kind of feels crushing at times. And I can... I think one of the things that kind of lead into that is just by nature in our current landscape of churches and how we present the gospel, it leans into deception. Like it leans into you could go to church all of your life thinking that we are in good shape here. The relationship with God is in great shape. And yet at the end of the day, be drastically deceived. Like the way we the way we come about this thing and the way we do this thing, it kind of leads into that. And so if you're going to go listen to the typical gospel presented in the typical church, it's going to be shrink-wrapped into the bare minimums. It's going to sound much more like fire insurance than a life change. And so um, we've come up with this whole intricate plan on how we have redesigned the gospel into this plan of salvation. And I think here's the danger in that, that it's very easy to lose the fact that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Okay, so I'm just saying this, that I think it's really possible that you and I could sit in church week in, week out, and yet at the end of the day be really deceived with our eternity. And and let me ask you this question. Do you think that could be so for you? Do you think it could be so for you? Okay, I want to read through in Matthew 7 what I think is... It might be the scariest passage in Scripture to me. And I want to try to unpack some of this for us this morning and and then just ask some real weighty questions at the end of it. And and my hope this morning would be that God might clarify some things in your heart. And, And like it's not like the hope of this morning is not to put everybody in a position to where, okay, let's get the gospel. It's not that. It's to help clarify. So if you're in the gospel, that you can know that you're in the gospel. And if you're not in the gospel, you can know that you're not in the gospel. So it's to clarify, where do I stand in relationship with God and in relationship to eternity? Matthew 7, verse 13. I want to, I want to read through this, and I want to stop and pray, and then, then we'll start to unpack it. Verse 13. This is going to be Jesus talking, Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your names and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat um, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. Last phrase is here. And it fell. And, a, and how great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Um, God, I pray for us this morning. God, I pray for us, specifically men in this room, wives in this room, dads in this room, moms in this room, children in this room, singles. I pray for every one of us personally that, God, we would lay our life underneath this passage. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to have sway in this room. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, specifically in our hearts this morning, individually and corporately as a body. God, that we would be able to clearly articulate and clearly define what the gospel is and whether or not we are living underneath it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's start with our good friend. We introduced him last week. His name is Martin Luther. And here's what he said about the gospel. He's commenting on Galatians 2.14. We'll look at that verse in a couple of weeks. But here's what he said about it. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. It is the principal article. And this is what he goes on to say. Most necessary is it that we know this article well. Okay, so it's great to know like the depth chart four deep of the Cowboys. It's great to know that. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's not the principal article for us to know well. We cannot know that and life will go just fine. I promise, right? Okay, but if we do not know this principal article, the gospel, we are in serious trouble. So he's saying, listen, this is the principal article. We have got to know this one well. And then he goes on and says, we have to be able to teach it to others. We have to be able to articulate it. There is nothing more important as a mom and as a dad for us to pass down to our kids than a biblical gospel. We have to be able to articulate this is what the gospel is. So we have to be able to teach it to others. And then this last phrase, and beat it into their heads continually. I love that. Okay, now. We live in America, we live in Texas, we live in Dallas, Texas, in general categories here. That last phrase is even more important for you and I living in Texas in the general area of Dallas. That listen, that we beat it into each other's heads continually. Okay, and this is, this is the reason why. 
Um, when, when you think of categories of people, here's, here's typically how people divide kind of categorically people on, on the planet up. Um, we would have this category, maybe number one, we would call it loss. This is what we talked about last week, that we are hopelessly in our sin, right? Ephesians 2 paints a very hopeless picture about what it means to be lost. We are enemies with God. We are rebellious, Right? Like the first three chapters of Romans, it is getting across this essential element. One of the first pieces of the gospel that we are lost people. That we are separated from God. God does not look at us and call us good. He doesn't do that when we're lost. Okay, so, so we have got to know that. And I think that's generally accepted. Like I don't think that's probably speaking like foreign language to us in here. Like we have a general category of, of lost, sinful, that typically people kind of have a, a, at least a decent understanding of, that people are lost. There's a category that would be at odds with God, deserving of God's wrath, separated from God, storing up the wrath of God. Okay, so we've got the lost category. Okay, now the second category, people kind of typically know this. If you've been around the Bible, been in church, probably heard this one discussed, the category of the saved. Okay, so this is those people who are no longer at odds with God, no longer enemies of God. There has been a major transfer. The great exchange has happened. He who was sinless, right? 1 Corinthians 5. He who was sinless became sin for us. The great exchange. So now no longer does God look at us as sinful people, at odds with him, the wrath of God being stored up. But now we are the object of his affection. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about next week, what it means to be saved, an object of the affection and the grace and the mercy of God. That's a beautiful thing, right? Okay, so we've got the category of lost, we've got the category of saved, but then in the New Testament, Jesus defines this next category for us. He deals with it all throughout his ministry. This is one of the main opponents to the gospel. This is the people that God dealt with, Jesus dealt with, and defined, are these people that we would call religiously lost. They're religious. They're just lost. I mean, they, they're doing a lot of good things. Okay, they, when they think of the gospel, they've been inoculated by it, right? Okay, so they've got, when you get inoculated, you get a vaccine, you get just enough of a dead virus to make you immune to the real thing, right? And so here's the, the thing with religiously lost people, is they have got just enough of the gospel to make them immune to the whole thing. They know just enough to make themselves very dangerous, So they've been inoculated by it. They're very spiritual people. They're religious people. They have their list of do's and don'ts. I mean, it is don't watch rated R movies. It is don't read Harry Potter, Twilight especially. And if I'm adding one in there, I'm going to say don't ever listen to the Jonas Brothers. And if you don't know who the Jonas Brothers are, ask your teenage. They probably do, right? Okay, so they have got their list of don'ts. They have got their list of do's. I mean, we do these things. We go to church. If Jesus were going to address Pharisees in modern day times, they would be in the church. So we go to church. I mean, we read our Bibles. We do all these religious things. But here's the point of the religiously lost. They do all of these great things. They are just missing the thing. They are missing Jesus. So they can have all of these beautiful accolades and charms around their neck, but they are missing the jewel. They are missing Jesus. Now, here is my fear for most people that just walk into church in and out Sunday morning, do the thing, check the box off, is that we fall into this category. This is welcome to modern day Bible Belt Christianity. We have been inoculated 
with just enough of the gospel to make us immune to the whole thing. We have our check boxes to do and don't do, but we miss, it is so easy to miss Jesus. Dallas has been called the, the buckle of the Bible belt. The buckle. Okay, so here's what, there, there's some good things that come along with that. If somebody walks into your house and sees a Bible, they're probably not going to hold you at gunpoint for that, right? Okay, there's probably not going to be a book burning because of that. But, but here's, here's the, the, uh, the flip side of this. If they see you reading the Bible, joyfully submitting your life to the Bible, zealous for the things of God, pursuing God, reckless abandon. You are the guy that has sold everything to purchase the jewel in the field. You are that guy. I mean, they start to look at you with a suspecting look, right? I mean, you have just now become in the category of those who believe in UFOs, have seen the Loch Ness Monster, and probably have taken pictures of Sasquatch. Okay, that's what's just happened. You become that guy when you start to live biblical Christianity. Okay, now this became a reality to me a few years ago. I'm reading a Barna, like a research thing here. So he's doing this poll, and he's trying to figure out who's born again in the U.S., who's not born again. Okay, born again is a way of saying saved, radically altered by the gospel. Who is born again, who's not born again? Okay, so here are the two questions they asked to get at the bottom of that question. So who's born again? Here are the two questions they would ask to the person they're polling. Number one, have you made a personal decision for Jesus that you still consider important today? Number two, do you believe you're going to heaven when you die? Why? If your answer is yes, yes, Jesus, you're born again. Yes, yes, Jesus, you're in. Now, they start asking some some follow-up questions. Questions about lifestyle, questions about how you live, questions about what you really believe. Okay, they start asking this, and here's what they find out. The people who answer, yes, yes, Jesus, their lives look no different from no, no, I don't care. Their beliefs under the surface look no different than no, no, who cares? Here was the conclusion of the Barna Report. People who are born again, man, they just don't really live lives a whole lot different than those who aren't. Welcome to modern day Bible about Christianity. Here's the biblical conclusion of that report. There are many people who are religious thinking they've got it when they are missing Jesus. They're religiously lost. That's that's the biblical conclusion of that. Okay, so let's define the gospel. Defined, it goes like this. The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people. This is going to be on the back of your bulletin, by the way. The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people. It starts with God, and we see a great picture of our sinfulness. And then how would Jesus respond? And and he sent his son. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who have faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. This is what I'm concerned about this morning, is your forever. I mean, that is not to be played with, not to be discussed lightly. It is forever. And I'm convinced, okay, 1 Corinthians 4, 4, it's going to say that the God of this world blinds the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And I am convinced that one of the ways he does that is, is by convincing us that our religious activities are what God is after. All the while, we have missed him. 
Okay, so jump back to this Barnard report. Yes, yes, Jesus. I mean, is Jesus the way? Yeah, okay, is, is it still important? Yeah. I lived in a fraternity house for three years in college, and here's what I found out. Every drunk person that walks in my room at 12 p.m. at night, midnight, every one of those guys answers, yes, yes, Jesus, right? Every drunk person I've met says, yes, yes, Jesus. Why are you, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the answer for everything in that moment, right? Okay, Keith Green, he was a uh, kind of a, a 70s, 80s, he was kind of your rock star gospel singer guy. Here's what he said about the gospel and about how we present it. He said this. I believe with all my heart that Jesus would be ashamed with most of the gospel messages that are being preached today, mainly because they lack almost every major point he preached on. Mainly because they lack almost every major point he preached on. So we want to be real careful. The reason we want to clearly define and articulate that to you, that the definition of the gospel, we want you to know what a biblical gospel is. And then this morning, we want you to answer the question, are you living in the biblical gospel? Might you be one of those religiously lost? Might I be one of those religiously lost? Okay, so let's unpack this. Verse 13. Verse 13 goes like this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, enter by the narrow gate. You might circle that word narrow. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are not many. Those who find it are few, he says. Okay, so here's the first thing that we see about the way of Christ. First thing you see is the way of Christ is specific. There is a narrow gate, period. There is a narrow gate. Okay, now I'm telling you, it, the wide gate is publicly and proudly proclaimed. Even in our churches, proudly and publicly proclaimed. You get your fire insurance. I mean... Adding Jesus to our life is like putting a dollar bill in our wallet. I mean, it doesn't change a whole lot. It feels kind of good. It fits nicely, but it just doesn't change anything. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not raising your hand. The gospel is not filling out a card. The gospel is not saying a prayer after the preacher says a prayer. That is not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He is the gate. And we have to walk through the gate of the gospel, the gate of Jesus, to be in. That, that's the gate. Okay, now listen, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things that, I mean, people try to crawl under the gate. People try to, to, to climb. I mean, they get their mountain climbing stuff on to get over the gate. You can't go over. The, you've got to go in the gate. You've got to go through Jesus. Listen, all religions do not go through the gate unless that religion says Jesus is the gospel. Go through the gate. Our religious deeds are not the gospel. They support the gospel, but we don't do things to get through the gate. Jesus gets us. He is the gate. It's specific. The way of Christ is specific. You cannot go around. You can't climb over. You can't dig a hole. You've got to go through the gate. It's a specific way. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Okay, now, now here's the truth for us in here. We hear that. We get an amen or two, right? 
I mean, we get the, yes, Jesus is the gate. We get that part. Okay, this is where it turns a little bit disturbing, all right? Okay, so verse 14. For the gate is narrow. And by the way, in verse 13, the word narrow, that word in Greek, two different words in Greek. In verse 13, narrow is a pressing, like it's Jesus pressing in on all sides. That's narrow. In verse 14, narrow is a little bit different. In verse 14, that's the same word like translated tribulation or persecution throughout the New Testament. So you see a little different angle already coming here. Narrow has this idea of pressing in. It has this idea of trouble on the horizon. Okay, look at what it says here. Verse 14. For narrow, or for the gate is narrow, and the way, look at this, is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, when everybody reads this passage, everybody champions the gate. Okay, we've got the narrow gate. We've got the way is specific. But here's the truth. There, okay, look at me here. There is a way and a narrow road behind that narrow gate. It's not just a narrow gate. It's a narrow road, a small road behind that gate. Okay, now this is, this is when we get into difficulty, right? Um, this means that if you want Jesus, it radically alters all of your life. You do not get Jesus. I, I, I use it. It's not like putting a dollar bill in your wallet. That doesn't. I mean, it, it fits great. It's not, but it doesn't change things. Getting Jesus is not raising. It's not filling out a card. It, getting Jesus radically alters all of your life, all of it. Okay, so let me just take you to one place to kind of show you this: that the way of Christ is hard, and you might even you could even use this word. It's even hated. That is, the, that is the road behind the gate. There's a narrow gate and a narrow road that is hard and hated behind that gate. Okay, so um, most people would have this verse. Um, go to Matthew 11. Most would have this verse probably highlighted, probably with some pink and, and blue and maybe even some yellow highlighter in your Bible. I mean, we like this verse, all right? Matthew 11. Um, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That sounds nice, doesn't it? I am in for some of that rest. Okay, um, all of you take up your yoke and learn from it because I am gentle and humble. I am in for that. I have no problem with that. That sounds great to me. I mean, pad the, pad the seat, right? I mean, we are in good shape right here. Um, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We all love that. Now, let's back up to chapter 10. And we see a whole different way to describe the narrow road. Okay, chapter 10, let's start in verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Look at how Jesus describes this road. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know that sheep do not do well around wolves, right? I mean, that just typically doesn't go well. Okay, so look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves. Next verse, 17. Because people will hand you over to Sanhedrins. People will flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. It's not like a, if this happens or this could happen, this is a get ready. This is coming for you. This is what's going to happen for you. 
Okay, let's keep reading verse 18. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they, when they, not if, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak. Okay, let's skip forward to verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a, and a father his child. Children will even raise up against their parents and will have them put to death. And if you think that doesn't happen today, you're crazy. It does, right? Okay, verse 22. You, uh, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Not an if. It's just stating you, this is what happens when you live the narrow road. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. Skip on to verse 37. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. There are new allegiances on this road. The person who loves son or daughter more than me, he is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it. And anyone losing his life because of me will find it. Here's what he's saying. You want the gate? You get the road. Here's the road. You die. That's the road. You die. All your selfish ambition, all your worldly goals, your previous hopes and dreams, your previous loyalties, all your previous allegiances, they all die and you get me. That's the road. So he's saying, listen, right off the bat, the way is specific and the way is hard. I, Jesus is not, uh, he is not lying to you when he says, if you want to come after me, here's what it means. You deny yourself, take up your cross and you follow me. He's not lying to us when he says that. Uh, he is being serious. He is saying, this is the path of a disciple. This is what it means to walk through the gate. That means you will walk down this road of radical self-abandonment. Okay, now, now here's how I always want to finish this conversation up. It's, it's a joyfully hard road, right? I, Jesus is never calling you to deny yourself the ultimate pleasures in life. He is saying this, deny yourself all these temporary pleasures, all these temporary things that will temporarily satisfy you. And you come and you give your life to the treasure, the fountain, the living water, as Jeremiah 2 says. So it's a joyfully hard road when he says, forsake impurity. It will temporarily satisfy you, but it will eternally damn you. When he says forsake that, he is saying forsake this temporary thing so you can have the eternal thing. It's a joyfully hard road. So it's not begrudging submission. Matthew 13, the guy sold all of his house, everything he owned to joyfully buy the treasure in the field. That's the picture. So I don't want to paint this picture of you that it's a begrudging, man. You just kind of have a frown on your face the whole time. It's not that. The road is lined with joy. The road has your greatest joy on it. But listen, it is a hard road. It's not for the faint of heart. This is why Jesus says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to count the cost. This is why the rich young ruler comes to him and says, hey, I want to get saved. And Jesus doesn't say, well, hey, fill out a card. We'd love to kind of put you onto the list here. Then do that. He said, okay, you want that? Then here's what it means. That you're, all your allegiances are different. Just go sell, like for you, you go sell everything you have, then you come and follow me. 
Let me test your first allegiance. Radical realteration, right? So the way of Christ is specific. The way of Christ is hard, even hated. Okay, so now the question becomes, okay, so how do we know if we're walking through the gate, we're walking down the road? How do we know that? Okay, he starts to unpack that. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 15. And here's what we're going to see. The way of Christ, how can we know that? It's fruitful. The way of Christ will produce fruit. Okay, verse 15 goes like this. Uh, And I want you to to maybe circle some words as we read them, as we come down through verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 16. You will recognize them by their, circle that word, fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good, circle that word, fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad, circle that word, fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, I think he might be trying to get a point across there. Okay, if I'm going to emphasize something, I mean, you've probably noticed if you come here often, I scream it, right? I mean, that's how I do it. That's how I get across. This is really important. That's not the case if you're going to write something, right? Okay, and especially in Hebrew literature, if you're going to emphasize something, you're going to scream it. What you're going to do is you're going to keep repeating it. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am screaming fruit out of this passage. I'm screaming it. You want to know if you're in, if you want to know if you have walked through the gate and walking down the road, you can know that by just looking at your life. Is it producing fruit? Good trees, when the, when the root is good, it produces good fruit. When the root is bad, it produces bad fruit. Listen, you produce what you are. Just turn the mirror around and look at your life. Now, I'm going to plead with you to do that. Be honest with your, you owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself. Turn the mirror around and make sure you do an honest evaluation. You produce what you are. Are you producing godly fruit in your life? I think if you were to go up to a pastor today, to, uh, and I'm just in general terms here, and you were to say, man, I'm really struggling, am I saved? Here, here's, I think, how that conversation typically goes. Well, okay, tell me about whatever experience you had in your past. Like, okay, when you're seventh grade, you walk down an aisle, great. Then, yeah, you, you need to stake that in the ground. I mean, that's it. Claim it. Believe it. Fifty years ago, here that, here's how that conversation goes. Tell me what the gospel is. The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross to demonstrate his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who have faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. Tell me what the gospel is. Let's look at the gospel. Where do you stand in relationship to the gospel? Have you put your faith in it? Okay, so you have? Okay, so now let's look at your life. Is the Holy Spirit, does it have sway and is it reigning in you? Can you see progress in your life? Can you see fruit in your life? Can you see advancement in this? If so, stake it and claim it. If not, don't you rest on that. Don't you rest on this experience. Don't you rest on this seventh grade thing. 
is the progress, is their fruit. Let me, let me just clear up two small points of confusion here. I, I'm not teaching salvation by works. I just want you to know that. I'm teaching that when the root is solid, it produces biblical fruit. Okay? That's what we're teaching. And listen, we're not preaching perfection. Nobody in here, in here is saying, you walk through the gate and walk down the road and you are a perfect person. Right? I mean, just live with a wife for a while, right? Have your wife live. Okay, that, that Laura knows. I am far from that. And so here, here's the point, though. When we talk about fruit, it is a direction in life, not perfection. So we are talking about, is the trajectory of your life producing fruit? If not, you need to do an honest evaluation. Don't stake your claim in a seventh grade disciple now. Let's keep reading here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one, this is verse 21, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, okay, how do we know if we're in the gospel? It's fruitful. The way of Christ is fruitful, and it's also faithful. Here is what the gospel produces in our life. The gospel produces a lifelong radical change of heart and head. That's what the gospel produces. A lifelong change of heart and head. So here's what you know. I, I, think about Judas for a second. If you were to just be a contemporary, I mean, Judas is in your band of brothers, right? I mean, if he is in your circle, you would have thought, this guy's it. I mean, he has got the, the teaching from Jesus. If anybody should have it, Judas should have it. But here's the truth. The end of his life revealed he did not have it. It is a lifelong change, radical change of heart and head. That's what the way of Christ is. It's faithful, lifelong change. And here's the truth for all of us. We can profess publicly what we don't possess personally. Now listen to me here. We can profess what we don't possess. That is very possible. That is the religiously lost. Professing, like it is easy to profess the gospel, right? I mean, we can throw our t-shirt on without even thinking about it, right? I mean, you can throw a ichthus on the back of your car like nobody's business. Like when I go home, every time I go home, there is this huge sign on the highway one mile away from my home that says, honk if you love Jesus. I mean, we're honking. That's easy, right? It is proclaiming, the God, proclaiming Jesus is not hard. Following Jesus lifelong is hard. It's a lifelong change of heart and head. And last one, we'll start to wrap it up here. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do many mighty works in your name. If we're bringing this into 21st century language, did I not teach Sunday school classes? Did I not lead home groups? Did I not, I mean, I was on the teams. I was serving. I was all over the church. I was involved here. Did I not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do many mighty works in your name. Verse 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The way of Christ is prone to deception. Now let's say, the way of Christ, it is so prone to deception. I mean, if you were to ask these people, are you in? They would have stamped that with 100% Yes, no question, 
I mean, not even a second thought. So the question is not, do you believe if you're in? The question is, are you in? I mean, 99.9% of the world believes they're in. So that's not the question. The question is laying your life under the gospel. It's prone to deception. Let me give you two of the biggest misconceptions I think people have of the gospel in our landscape. Number one is that people confuse salvation with a belief in facts. That there's this head thing, but not a heart thing. Because I think it's the number one thing. That, that we believe, okay, I believe the gospel. God is, okay, we got the God part. We are sinful, got that part. Jesus came, died on the cross, paid for our sins, got that part. I need to have faith, okay, got that part. We've got the facts, but we have never joyfully submitted our lives to it. Okay, here's, I think, the analogy. You can stand and look at the gate all day long and never walk through the gate. And that's what believing the facts are. There is the gate. Jesus is the gate. I can see the, I can even kind of peer in and see the road behind it. But I've never walked through it. Biggest misconception, I think, in Bible Belt world. I believe the facts of the gospel, but there's never been a change of heart. You can know things without loving things. And the essence of being saved is a change in loves. That's what it means to be saved. That God has radically reoriented your heart around him. New loves, new allegiances. Okay, second thing is this one. And this is huge. Spiritual life built on attrition alone and not contrition. Use those words lately? Didn't think so. Okay, let me explain them. Um, Here's what attrition means. Attrition is repentance based on escaping punishment. Okay, so, it, so it's, I'm sorry because I don't want to get killed for this thing. Okay, in 1985, date myself here, 1985, I'm a junior high kid. The first Nintendo comes out. This was a glorious day. Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers, the first one, that was the thing. I remember coming home, I would have this little path, I'd walk home. One of my friends on the way had the first Nintendo. We didn't have it. We got that like three years later. They had the Nintendo every day. We stop in there and we are killing ducks left and right, right? Okay, finally we get it. And you know, if you're a parent and you've got any sort of a game system in your home with kids, you know that World War III periodically breaks out over those things. So it had happened. Me and my middle brother, we, I mean, we go to blows over it. My parents put it up in the closet. You can't touch it. My grandparents come in. My parents are going out for a weekend thing. My grandparents come in. And what, of course, grandparents aren't going to say no to their grandkids. Are you serious? So we convince them that we're, we're getting the Nintendo out. So they agree. I mean, it was a little bit of this to get them to, but they agreed. So we got the Nintendo down. It wasn't five minutes later. My older brother, he tries to punch me in the shoulder, hits me right in the eye. I've got a black eye. So there is no covering this one, right? Parents get home and we do the fit, right? I mean, we are sorry. I mean, we've got kind of these fake tears coming down. The last thing we would ever want is for them to put that Nintendo back up in that closet. That is repentance based on attrition. My hands in the cookie jar, I got caught. Oh, dang, I'm not going to get cookies anymore. That does not save. Repentance based on contrition does. I am sorry for my sin because it has attacked the glory of God. That saves. Okay, maybe, okay, so let's bring this to, to real life here. If you are banking on a salvation that is solely to avoid hell, 
That's attrition. It doesn't save. Avoiding hell will not get you heaven. It takes contrition. I am sorry for my, this is David. I've just committed adultery and murdered. And God, it's against you and you only have I sinned. I have defamed your name and your glory. Forgive me. Contrition. So here's what hell does to us. It it turns us and we look at something horrible. I don't want to go there. And we look at Jesus and we say, oh my gosh, you look beautiful. In light of that, you are the sinless substance. You are the savior of the world. I want you. People who go to heaven, listen to this. It's not that they don't want hell. It's that they want Jesus. That's who goes to heaven. You have got to want Jesus. Those are the people who get him. That's contrition. Okay, so last, last metaphor and then, then we'll close. Verse 24, I'm just going to read through this and throw an illustration out. Everyone who hears these words of mine, I'm just going to encourage you to take this to heart. Those who hear these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. A firm foundation. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. So I think this is what he's saying. There are some that are going to build their house on a foundation made of sand. It's not that you don't have a foundation. It's just that it's made of the wrong thing. It's made of seventh grade, emotional whatever. It's made of, I filled out a card, I repeated a prayer, I did what, it's just made out of the wrong foundation. And Jesus is saying, listen, make sure your foundation is on the rock. The way of Christ is specific. There is a narrow gate we have got to go through. That narrow gate is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gate produces a narrow road. If you want me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. How do we know that we're walking on that road? We're producing fruit that looks like the root of Jesus in us. We are remaining faithful. Lifelong change of heart and head. So I'm going to ask you, what are you built on? Rock, sand. There will be a day for all of us that the storm of the fury of God beats against our life. The only life that's going to stand are those built on the rock. Amen? May we be. Let's pray. I want you to imagine finding a map that's got a treasure indicated on it. Just imagine that. And let's just say that map is in a language you can't understand. So you've got the map. You've got the treasure. Like you know that that's where the treasure is. 
but you just can't understand the math. And so you leverage all of your life. I mean, all of your finances, your family, everything in life is leveraged to find that treasure. So the first thing you do is hire an interpreter that will interpret the language where you can understand it. You hire the interpreter. He begins to interpret He begins to lead you, and you work hard. You're having to cut through the jungle. You've got a machete in hand, cutting back everything in your path. You are building roads to bring in your machinery. You are working hard to get to the treasure. You get there, and you spend your life digging. And at the end of the day, you realize the interpreter was wrong. He made critical mistakes in his interpretation you're digging in the wrong place can you imagine the frustration of that moment the despair of that moment and my fear for so many of us is that we have listened to people interpret the map where the treasure is with critical mistakes And at the end of the day, we're going to miss the treasure. May it not be for you. May it not be for me. May God make it very clear to us as we read the scriptures, as we search the scriptures. May the Holy Spirit illuminate that for us. So as we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you to do this. Maybe you want to read Matthew 7 again. And I I want to invite you to do this. To listen to the Holy Spirit. To listen to the Holy Spirit in your life right now. To examine yourself. And to pray for yourself. And not for your wife or for your husband or for your kid or for your dad. But for you. Personally, you. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves to test whether or not we are in the faith. And I just want to ask you, are you built the rock or the sand? So Jesus, I pray for clarity. As we sing and as we think today, this week, God, I pray for supernatural clarity. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in us. God, I love the gate. I just want to tell you that. I love the gate. It's precious. The gospel is so precious. God, I want to tell you that I'm thankful for the road, the joyfully hard road that follows conversion, the joyfully hard road of purity and of righteousness, the joyfully hard road of battling sin, of forgiveness and not allowing bitterness to creep in. God, I thank you for that joyfully hard road of surrender. God, the joyfully hard road of self-denial and taking up our cross and following. God, I thank you for that road. God, I pray for our body that there would be great fruit and great faithfulness as we journey together. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us?